Washed Up Emo sponsors New Belgium Brewing are celebrating their 30th anniversary as a company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com. Do you ever wonder if your favorite band is emo? Tired of being in the same conversation with friends? Not knowing if you're listening to post-hardcore, screamo, emo revival, emo emo violence, even ska. We're We're here here to to help. help. The Emo Council is here staffed and ready for any question you may have. Hey, Emo Council, just wondering if Green Day was considered an emo band. Thanks. Green Day is not an emo band. Okay. From the creators of Washed Up Emo, isthisbandemo.com offers the definitive answer to the only important question of your day. Hey, is this been emo? Hello and welcome to episode 162 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. And today we welcome Scott Hobart, singer, guitarist, and lyricist for the band Giant's Chair. Giant's Chair are a Midwest band in the early 90s influenced many in the scene we know today. Starting out with legendary Caulfield Records, Giant's Chair have been on and off over the years and continue to be talked about when this genre and era is mentioned. Now, they're about to release their new album, Free Fabulon, on December 6th on Spartan Records. If this is in the future, it is now on streaming services. I think I giggled and laughed more than any episode with Scott as we talk about the band's history, his kids, his day job, and the new album, Free Babylon. I really hope you enjoy it. If you are a Patreon supporter out there, that literally means the world. I cannot believe that you spend money to help me support this show and this podcast that I do in my spare time. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you want to support, head on over to patreon.com slash washedupemo. This is episode 162 with Scott Hobart. From Giant's Chair. around my my grandma you know my mom's mom she played guitar and my and she played piano and also lap steel like hawaiian guitar and then and my dad played guitar and sang around the house um you know just kind of didn't really you know it was just like around the house all the time so definitely grew up with guitar around but i didn't get interested until i was probably about 14 and and i started playing and yeah and then started writing stuff immediately because I definitely was I mean I took a few lessons my mom said she'd give me a guitar if I took lessons and luckily had a cool high school or guitar teacher who would be like okay here's this and this and this and then I would br- I would bring songs and he, and he'd sh- he like the next week he would he would show me how to play those parts or those songs you know so it was more it was more kind of like what do you want to know how to do on the guitar and let's figure that out you know what kind of stuff were you asking him to teach you first 
Well, I was way into early U2 stuff at that moment. So I was pretty much, it was like, Hey, how do I, how do you do Sunday, bloody Sunday? Or how do you play new year's day solo or something? You know, it was that kind of stuff. And, um, and the church and REM and, you know, I just was kind of into, I guess at that moment it would have been college rock alt early alt or something. My folks were, you know, they were listening to, um, you know, country radio was really what was going on at our house. But my mom did have, she kind of like one time I asked her, cause I had heard on, on just a radio station out of the next bigger, you know, the, the bigger town over the college town, I had heard some um, Pink Floyd and I asked if she had any Pink Floyd records because by then I knew she had a record collection and that there was, I knew she had some rock. I knew there was um, Creedence Clearwater Revival and uh, Janis Joplin. Uh, and so I asked her about that and then, but she didn't have that, but she did have Bob Dylan's songs from Big Pink, you know, <laughs> the, the, or the band, I guess, to answer the question of how I heard that other stuff would, would be like uh, um, radio. There was a really good college radio station and still is out of Rolla, University of Missouri Rolla at the time. And the station was KMNR. They always were playing crazy stuff all the time at all, you know, all hours. And so you could kind of get that. I was also into skateboarding and stuff. And my friends in that town, the college town who were skating, were listening to a lot of other stuff that I, that I got my head around too, you know, descendants and, um, and they had bands too. And so they had punk bands or whatever, you know, just thrown together and stuff. So I kind of started getting a feel for that. And then, you know, some, I had a girlfriend from early on who I traded a British flag, uh, bandana for, she was from, um, Maryland. She had come out, she had a cousin in, in my town and she showed up and I traded this British flag bandana for, um, for a B 52s cassette and some other mix cassette with like, you know, some early new wave stuff on it. And that was pretty influential, I guess at that moment too. I love that. You traded a bandana for B 52s and like a (laughs) mixtape. It's exactly what happened. That is a, that is a, that is a sweet trade. <laughs> I thought so. And she was pretty, so that was good too. You know, your ears were perked too different. You know, the college radio station in my town played weird stuff. I picked up on it. I'm like, they're not playing mm-hmm. what I'm hearing outside or on the radio or from my friends. Like, they're playing something different. And then your punk friends were kind of giving you other stuff that you hadn't heard, but you were not rejecting it. You were taking it with all ears and probably couldn't get enough. Why? Why was that? What, what about those sounds or what about those things that weren't uh, on the radio for the most part um, connect with you? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Um, I think somewhere early on I had, and I didn't, I don't think I ever realized that it was a rush song until later, but I had heard a rush song and it surprised me. Like the changes surprised me. And I think maybe that was something that kind of made me realize that there was stuff out there that would surprise me. And that was, I think, something I sought out at some point or was at least open to, like you said, my ears were ready for that. The element of surprise that was intriguing to me. 
you know, I was never real good at math and, uh, I always liked to draw and paint and stuff and, uh, um, was always a daydreamer and, and by then also into music and stuff, but not music. You know, I wasn't in, I was in choir, but I hated it and stuff at that, you know, early on. But I guess I just, I, my mom had said, well, you know, it's okay. There's an art school in Kansas City. You just keep drawing and we'll see if we can get you into art school. And so she at least had the notion that there was an option for someone who wasn't, uh, you know, playing small town football very well. And so, uh, yeah, so I got, I think I, I was just, I could draw and, and I liked to paint and, but the, so I went to the art Institute for two years and the first year was, um, it's foundations is what it's called. And it's like, you're, you, they kind of start from scratch and just kind of give you a taste of all, every direction, you know, photography, uh, figure drawing or uh, projects that have to do with, you know, honing your you know craft, making sure you can cut a straight line if you want to, you know, that kind of stuff. And so I did that for a year. And then the second year I did go into painting and printmaking because I guess, cause it was kind of wide open. And in fact, I think I was doing more sculpture, you know, type stuff in painting, but it also, I brushed up against, printmaking at that moment which kind of fed into the graphic design of that it takes if you're going to be in a band as far as making posters or flyers or whatever yeah it was you you were accidentally mm-hmm. being of being a great asset to your band exactly yeah and <laughs> even more band. yeah even later it got even more which uh, yeah that was later on i you know after the band got after giant's chair got together we we came back to Kansas city and I was trying to find a job and I ended up in, um, in a print shop at that moment. Thanks to my father-in-law. So he was in printing and he's like, you know, you should check, check out printing. You know, it's like, okay. Wow. Yeah. Were there bands before giants chair? When I got to Kansas city, I, I had, I guess I was kind of at that moment, I was into Bob Dylan and, you know, kind of the folk singer thing. Then when I got to town and was doing acoustic stuff, when I met Byron, the bass player from Giants Chair, we were kind of doing the coffee house thing, acoustic duo. He was on bass and I was on acoustic guitar. So yeah, we had a couple of bands here and different drummers. And but also, then we ended up in Green Bay playing with Paul, the uh, Giants Chair drummer. Byron had gone to Byron and Paul are both from Green Green Bay, and we ended up moving up there to play with him. After Byron and I couldn't quite find the right fit for a drummer here at that moment. And we had nothing else going on, really. And so we just were like, hey, let's go check out Green Bay. <laughs> yeah. And what was it like when you all, you know, what was it like playing together for the first time? What were some of the things that uh, or sounds or bands that brought you together as you started to play? I'm going to get away from this uh, lawnmower for a second. <laughs> I, think, I think he's about done with this. Part. <laughs> Sorry about that. Is this a is is this a neighbor? Yes, it's just the next door neighbor. You tell him you're doing a podcast interview. He needs to finish up. Bill, come on, help me out here. <laughs> <laughs> I got a record coming come out. Come on, I'm trying to. Oh yes. Well, that's all what the you noise. get for talking to washed up emo dudes. <laughs> anyway. 
People so we, mowing lawns. Yeah, it's just, you know, our bucolic existence of lawnmowers and every year. Um, <laughs> he, uh, oh, okay, so yes, uh, I knew Paul. I mean, Byron grew, grew up up there with him, but uh, I had known him and we had actually played with him once when we, the previous band had gone up and our drummer couldn't make it for probably some college reason. And so Paul had sat in with that band. And so we knew kind of his vibe. And so basically we, you know, when we moved to green Bay for that winter, it ended up just being for the winter Honestly, I don't quite remember the first time we got together and kind of, to me, it it was the snare. Like he, Paul was, a, he's a really straightforward drummer ultimately. And I loved that. And I loved that he was more about snare than Tom's, you know, I just love snare. Boy's life later, but as far as the immediate like peers that were making sounds that I was like, Oh my gosh, these guys are really doing this. You know, with Milo McGuire, they had, they had two guitarists and they were often playing close to the same thing. And I loved that sound so much that I've got two amps and started running stereo because we didn't want to, or we didn't have another guitarist. And I guess we didn't really, I don't know. We didn't look for one very hard, <laughs> but we wanted to have that sort of sonic impression live. And I, I just liked the way that sounded. And so that was a huge influence, I'll say. That's cool. And then for singing, what did you like about your voice when you started singing? My mom, when I told her I was going to drop out of art school to be in a band or drop out of school, college to be in a band, and she's like, well, what are you going to do? I was like, well, I'm going to be the singer. And she's like, you can't sing? <laughs> I was like, oh, well, I don't guess it'll stop me. I'm going to just do this. And I, I, so I don't know that I really necessarily felt like I was a great singer, but I liked to sing and I liked to try to write songs and had been since I picked up a guitar. And I do think that I, I ultimately when I started understanding the, you know, punk, I guess I, I realized that it was less about carrying a tune than it was about carrying a, an emotion and, uh, you know, a, a passion or something, you know, it was just like, uh, you know, it was authentic, just, you know, blurt it out, bleed and see what happens, you know? I mean, I remember, so with Germbox. I remember them bringing the, you know, their demo tape around or their EP tape. It was a cassette and him playing it, uh, David, Dave, the singer. And, you know, cause we were close friends and it was, in, you know, we were at the dorm and he played it and I was like, Oh my gosh, these guys are really doing it. And it was at that moment that I decided that it was, you know, that's what I wanted to pursue. And so then later on when bands like season to risk and boys life were really you know hey you know they're in la tonight or they're or in they're in wichita tonight you know so that kind of thing was was you know again it was just like up in the ante and it was like well we can do this and it's in reach and we can and we can be a part of this and or you know we can get get out there too and just you know be uh be a band on the road 
you know, that we're ultimately a bunch of romantics, I think. And we just, you know, loved the idea of being able to try to, you know, live the, um, the journey dream. <laughs> right. But that, but that time, like that was attainable. You know, you had a seven inch in your hand, yeah. you might've had some t-shirts and you drove and there was hopefully a, the kid answered the phone at, at the payphone that you called <laughs> yeah. from at yeah. the gas station and you showed up and hopefully there were people. But I think what I, what is what I'm getting at, and I think there's sort of a difference then and now, which I think happens in every scene, but I think this scene was a little bit different because the internet started to, you know, take hold at the end of your uh, you know, first sort of iteration of Giant's Chair. But I think those inklings were there of things getting faster and stuff changing. But then it was still very, it felt slow, even though at that point you didn't know anything faster. Right. Um, but now it's in, it seems slow. But I guess the, the question is, you know, connecting with bands, you know, meeting up with Christy Front Drive or Ethel Meserve or, yeah. you know, getting with Caulfield Records. Like, it wasn't like you and me, you and I emailing back and forth to get this like time set. It was a letter. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah, a phone, a phone call. call. Yeah. It was a voicemail. Oh, yeah. That's so huge. <laughs> yeah. I remember, yeah, we would, a long time of sitting at a table at the Giants Chair House where Boys Life Practice and Season to Risk and us putting together the packages and being on the, you know, leaving yet another three messages with all these clubs going across, you know, and then boys life had gone through, they had achieved a tour of the whole United States. And we were then calling, like they would be playing these places and we would call like a day or two later, I would call while they were on the road and say, Hey, we're going to be coming back through with boys life um, on, you know, next month, <laughs> you know, or two months from now. Anyway, just, yeah, but all by phone, right. Yeah, phone and mail, <laughs> much slower. So thank goodness for the internet, I suppose. <laughs> How did you get in touch with Caulfield? Oh, yeah, so through, uh, through the guys from Germbox, they had, um, I think they did a 7-inch on Caulfield, and then we uh, also had seen Sideshow. I mean, they were out and about doing the, you know, touring too which was another they were heroes and we had seen them at uh a, a couple of places around the outhouse and some other place um and so i mean it was just i think we sent a demo tape probably to um to bernie and um and then he when i just remember we were in I guess we were in Green Bay. We had recorded. Oh no! Well, we had, we had made our own seven inch, the Hot Boy seven inch, and we sent it to him. And then he was like, "Yeah, I'll pick this up." And then, would you guys want to do a record? And we were like, "Yes, of course." And so, we were in the midst of we were in the process of writing this, you know, the the full record batch of songs or or a full set batch of songs. I should say was mostly the idea was just to be able to play for a show. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, it was so exciting whenever he, he called back or left a message, I think is probably what he did was, you know, just to get that message of, yeah, let's do this. And to have someone who you were looking up to already, you know, on and because they're in a band, but they also happen to run this label and they're willing to help you get a, a record out is, I mean, that's pretty magic. 
Yeah. Do you remember any uh, reviews or things back then that helped get the name out there or help uh, Giants Chair? Um, let's see. I think we had something in Flipside that made us feel like we'd gotten somewhere, gotten some traction. Um, and then, but I do, I remember uh, playing like opening for Love Battery one time at this place in Kansas City. And I, I, I thought, man, we're, you know, we're, we're making some headway or, you know, we're at least like, man, these band, this band is so cool <laughs> that we get to play with them. They were a sub pop band, I think. And, um, and I also remembered probably the more, uh, impressive on me were just being able to play these basement shows where there were actually a bunch of our friends really legitimately rocking out and like us feeling like we were connecting and, you know, actually sounding good after all this time. I mean, those moments are really the, the priceless moments of, you know, the sweaty basement that is rocking hard and you're there and you're doing it. And that's huge. When you guys moved on from that, you had other bands that you guys did. Like, what was it? What was it for you personally? Was it, I got to get some other stuff done or I got to, I got to have a job or what was, what was some of the stuff that the first time you guys had stopped? We, I remember us kind of after the, after the purity and control record and tour, um, kind of getting back together and um, trying to start write some write some things and it just wasn't really happening and we weren't ready you know we weren't going to force it and um, and I had already I'd kind of at the moment felt a little disillusioned in that I I knew yeah you know there were times when I felt like Oh, we're just, we're, you know, we're playing these basement shows. Of course, now those are the magical moments that I remember <laughs> as being so cool. But I also, it wasn't genuine or something, you know, I, I felt like it was, you know, it could never be as true. Ultimately, like every show couldn't be full on, fully emotionally true and transparent as it was supposed to be. And so I kind of felt, like it was disingenuous and, and I, and, it, and it had been kind of a process of elimination for me musically. I, I, I wanted to, you know, I'd kind of been pushing the limits of what I could do on guitar. And I, then I wanted to go the other direction to some extent and write very basic songs, like with regular CG and F <laughs> And I wanted to write story songs and, and I wanted, to, you know, and I wanted to create a character. I don't know. I kind of went through this whole mental, uh, identity crisis kind of thing and emerged as a country singer <laughs> somehow. And so I started, uh, writing, uh, country songs, really, you know, song, just very straight up songs about heartbreak, which in a way, when I look back, I mean, I think that, every song I've ever written has been a heartbreak song probably. Um, but so there were all those factors that went into it for me. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know about Byron and Paul, what they, you know, what their things were, but then they went on and were, you know, continued 
in their in different rock bands that I think were great, you know, great fits for them. And um, and so they evidently were not done rocking at that moment. <laughs> I just wanted to do something else, you know. I kind of wanted to, I kind of just wanted to see what what would happen in a way if I just decided to do these, you know, write country songs and make country records. So, which in a way, I mean, the, 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 it's still a sim- very simple form. You know, I feel like sometimes it it's. Uh, you know, country or folk is more punk rock than people give it credit for sometimes. And by then in 97, you still hadn't heard the word emo. I probably had, but I also know that we had, I love this. <laughs> well, we, I, I also know that we were, we've always, we were always reluctant to try to give in to, and actually this all fits together because I remember one thing that I really liked about being in a country band after all this was being able to simply say, you know, someone asked, well, what kind of band, what are, what are you kind of music are you guys doing? It's like, well, I'm in a country band. <laughs> it's very straight up, you know, and I could have all that time said I was in a rock and roll band, but uh, you know, giant's chair, I felt like for me, it was that a was, you know, we didn't want to be pigeonholed. You never want to be pigeonholed. You just want to be able to uh, be like, I don't know, you know, we're some, we're just doing the, our thing. And, uh, but, but then, you know, ultimately you, you, yeah, I just was, I didn't know how to, I did not want to just say we were this or that. Um, ultimately we were just a rock band and still are just a rock band. And in fact, that's what we strive for is to be a rock band. <laughs> there was a time period where, you know, I would reach out to these bands and they wouldn't respond or I, I don't want to talk. I don't, I mean, it was that jarring of a, of a phrase even then to not be associated with it. With emo. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, to, to me, it's funny because my, my, uh, rock or my, uh, country band drummer at one point you know we were on the road years later and you know he was asking about about giant's chair and and we you know we were saying well i guess we would be i guess we were considered emo and he's like what that doesn't make any sense i mean all music's emo everything's emotional (laughs) and and i was like yeah yeah i understand and so sometimes i think about it like that too but um but yeah i mean any genre i mean the the any genre is a comp, you know, is a, you know, it's just a, a handy thing that, that somewhere, you know, someone said, well, that's this, um, which is totally, cool, you know? but it's also community. Exactly. It's also community. Exactly. I mean, the bands you guys were touring with and playing with and the community Caulfield records, like whatever that was, yeah. that name was attached to it good or bad. Oh yeah. But oh, no. I don't think that would have happened if it was a shoegaze scene. Yeah. Or like or like a super indie rock like, you know, Athens, Georgia kind of thing. Like would it have been that same response? Hey, no, I'm in a shoegaze band. Right. Or I'm in an indie rock band. Like, no, if you, I'm in an Ebo band, it's like, what? Like it's marginalized. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um so you th- you feel like the that the emo as a genre is a marginal was a marginal genre 
it stills marginalized. If you mention it to anybody outside, um, I live in New York City. If I go to Times Square and ask ten people, they're gonna, you know, three are gonna laugh, four are gonna say hair, uh, <laughs> two is two's gonna say tight pants and white belt, and one person might say, you know, sunny day real estate. Yeah. Um, but I think what, why I brought this up and why I think talking to you is that a lot of the bands on are from maybe the mid to late 90s and then they kind of cut into the 2000s. But for you guys to have that first swing, you know, in this really sort of cultivating oh, right. incubator era mm-hmm. with, you know, 97 was a lot of times people think, you know, a lot of the um, I, I, I missed you guys. Like I barely uh, I barely caught what you guys were up to before I started to really go to shows, really yeah. see record, you know, get to the record stores, find out what was going mm-hmm. on. I found out about tree records too late. I found out about, so my, what that even then in 97, it was like, nah, nah, dude, I'm doing a country band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm fucking like, I'm out of this shit yeah. like this. And it's so funny that that still happens. And there's, and I think for you guys, my follow up was sort of a, you know, as the years passed, like your drummer asking you about your old band, like, did you start to feel, because that's when I realized that this might come back or the, the, the full history would come back when bands would say, oh, yeah, I remember Boy's Life. I'm like, wait a minute. I don't even think I could find an article online about Boy's Life. Like, how do you remember them? <laughs> did you start having people, you know, say, hey, I remember that band or... Like, did any of that start to permeate at, at, at some point in the late 90s or early 2000s? I mean, anytime anybody does, you know, decides to even, you know, mention you as in any way, um, you know, influential or um, uh, whenever Byron, our bass player, who he's always, you know, he's always digging around on eBay and stuff. You know, he's kind of a junk dealer, really. <laughs> what his main thing is wow that's nice <laughs> but, but he, <laughs> i love him to death and he's my favorite bass player um but he but he would like dig up these things once in a while and send them to him and it's like oh my gosh someone is you know, paying 30 bucks for that seven inch or something you know and we would you know that to me was like well i guess there's some people that find the, you know, that did ultimately find these things, these artifacts meaningful and that's super flattering. And, you know, and so I guess those were the, that would be the moments where you feel like, well, maybe there's some timelessness that you strive for is actually there. I think that's a really good way of saying it like that, the, 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 like it's sort of, you're right. Like people forget if you don't remind Hmm, and, Over time, you know, you're going to forget there's going to be a new generation, but if it's passed on, kind of like no effects. Yeah. The, it's like, I mean, that's just what you give the kid if they say they like punk. It's, mm-hmm. just, it's just what happens. I think it just shows up. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like the whatever the, it just shows up on your phone. And <laughs> I think like for that to have, you know, that happen for you guys and have Steve from Cave In, yeah. you know, mention that or have. Uh, I mean, I definitely, it was one of the bands that was mentioned when you started to get into stuff for wow. me, even like See, in 97 or 96, it was, there you yeah, go. There's that's the what moment. I remember hearing it. We finally yeah. arrived. Thank you. <laughs> no, no, I just, it wasn't like, but it, I, I, the reason I'm asking it is not for you to say like, no, it's really nice. Like, no, like those are things like you said, he, seeing the stuff on eBay or seeing them online and being like, wow, people are paying attention to these. Did you think that? 
did you think that, I mean, there were uh, probably, probably people were talking about boys life and the other bands. Like, did you, did as you were having your life and moving on and doing all kinds of stuff, did you, did you sense like, wait a minute, I think people remember us. And was there an inkling to do more? Was there an inkling to, did that help? Or did you guys just want to do it because you wanted to do it? Moving on from there, like I said, I was focused on wanting to try to, you know, I really wanted to write some, you know, country songs. I wanted to right. write these songs uh, and experiment with a wholly different form that I also realized was, and part of the reason why I picked it, I guess, that the genre of country, in a way, was that I wanted it, I wanted a generic form of music, what I, what I thought was very generic, because I wanted to tell stories very specifically with very clear language because I'd been dealing with, you know, writing this abstract stuff for a while mm-hmm. through Giant's Chair and, you know, trying to come up with crazy chord stuff or whatever, the time signatures. Are, but then, um, so I, when I started to focus on that, I was obsessively focused on it. And I really turned away from the from giant's chair and from rock and from the whole, that, the whole scene. And, um, so I, you know, there wasn't, um, there wasn't an immediate, well, I mean, of course there wouldn't be an immediate thing, but years later, I mean, I, I did, I've done five albums with that, with uh, five country albums. And it was a 20 years of trying to wow. you know, be in a country singer, you know? And, so, right, and that was the focus and, and a passionate focus. And so I was never really, I mean, years and years of, you know, not doing anything, but thinking I was a country singer and, um, wow. And not really digging. And then every, every once in a while, Byron would send something out, you know, um, send a, you know, a, a link to an eBay thing or this or that. So it, it so then, really, you know, what made us want to make a new album was it's all Paul's fault, the drummer, you know, this damn Green Bay drummer, because <laughs> we were, we were um, you know, we had actually it's Dwayne, the engineer's fault. That's whose fault it is because he contacted us and said, "Hey, you guys, I was just listening to." He was going to mix us for a live reunion show. You know, every once in a while we would get called to do a you know, we're doing this benefit show or this or that in Kansas city, if you guys right. want to play. And so he caught, he had been listening to what to purity and control album ahead of, um, of, of a show we were going to do. And he said, I, you know, cause he recorded that album and it was his first album that he ever recorded. And he's like, I think we could do a lot better with that. If you guys want to re-record it, we'll do it for free. And <laughs> you guys could relearn no the songs shit. and re-record it. And so we thought about that for a minute. And ultimately, Paul said, well, wouldn't it be more fun just to see if we could write a new album? And of course, we thought that did sound like fun. And it was no fun at all, but we did it. No, it was fun. And we had, we've had a, and so that's how the record, you know, how this record came about. We just kind of dove in and, um, it took a lot longer than it used to take to put a record together because of course we're all trying to pay bills and 
raise kids and stuff now, but damn it, we did it and we're proud of it. I love that. And I think uh, what, what was, that was obviously, you know, that was my next question. I think you guys getting back together and, you know, you're blaming, you know, you're <laughs> blaming everybody for it, which I love, but what, again, you doing the country stuff for so long, like getting back in there, you had done, I know the one-off like reunion stuff, but like getting there again and being like, okay, we got to write. Yeah. What was the, did well, it, did you feel like you were 20 again or, you know, or in, you know, your twenties or did it, did it feel, did it feel just like home? Well, it's funny because in a way, um, I was getting tired of writing country songs <laughs> too by now. And so I thought, well, this is kind of cool. I mean, I've done some side projects of, um, of crazy guitar stuff for theater things here in Kansas City. I also work in theater and I build sets for a children's theater here. And no way. yeah, that's my job. Um, and that is your job now. Yes, that's my job. That is so cool. Okay. So that is, so is that, so building sets and like, uh, I have a, uh, family friend that does it for TV shows oh, in cool. Chicago. Awesome. They're, like they do, you know, whatever the the all those TV shows that need like the crazy sets and stuff. Yeah, like, like they a, build all like those, a talk and it's like or... no, like um, like Chicago Fire oh, or whatever those show, like yeah. um, oh, TV shows like series like uh, TV shows. Oh, wow. yeah. yeah, but like that kind of like it. Someone will be like, oh, how did it, you know? Oh, where did you get that? And I'm like, no, we built this. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's exactly what I do from I, nothing. You know, <laughs> I have. Oh, that's cool. You know, I've done weird guitar projects. Like we did a at the theater, we did an Edgar Allan Poe thing that I designed the set for, built it, and painted it, and then did live guitar weirdness for the wow. for the show every time. You know, live live underscore, and then there was another one. We did Night of the Living Dead at some point where we and I would I was like a zombie doing weird guitar stuff <laughs> to, to, you know, just in the meantime. So I, and I, and other kind of soundtracky things I had done over the years. So I, I still was playing electric and still dabbling and, you know, just creating stuff in that world. Um, so it wasn't that hard to get back and, and just sit on the couch really and start coming up with these guitar parts um, which is the way we always wrote, you know, I would bring some, I'd, I'd say, Hey, I kind of got this and this and this. And then we'd just kind of try to mash them together and see what Byron and Paul threw down on it. And, um, and so that part, I kind of love, I love that. Like that back and forth of <laughs> you want it really simple, not simple, but you know what I mean? Yeah. CFG. And then yeah. you're like, okay, cool. I want to like get a little angular yeah. and a little uh, weird and cool. Theater's perfect for that, so I'll be <laughs> weird with the theater. And then you're weird with you're weird with Giants Chair. Yeah, what are you gonna do? I'm mean, just gonna keep doing it. I'm a lifer. Um, yeah. So the, now, so that yeah, the music came came. I'll say pretty easily. I mean, it, like I said, it did take much longer uh, than it used to, to, to come up with enough songs for an album. But, um, but the music was pretty, pretty easy. The lyrics though, like coming back to be, you know, being a a rock vocalist after doing, you know, this country character really for, for 20 years, 
uh, that was a, that was a thing. I mean, it wasn't that it was hard to, you know, it's not like you're trying to sing, you know, it's not like I have a, that I'm trying to sing in a different style. I mean, the country stuff is very much a style and it's a traditional style and it's, um, you know, it's a vocal tricks really in a way, but with, you know, but with singing with giant's chair anyway, and I guess emo or rock, like I said before, it was, it's an emotive, um, experience that, you know, you're just really expressing more, you know, that's the thing. It's not a, it's not a, um, it's more full expression than a style. I mean, maybe that makes it a style, but you're not conscious. You're not as conscious, you know, it's not as a conscious of a type of singing. I think ideally, you know, I mean, that makes it, that's the truth of it you know, if you're trying to be truthful and then, um, and then, but lyrically, you know, so that, so writing the guitar was not bad. Um, you know, just kind of belting out these, you know, the, the words are not bad, but, but really deciding like, but the, the writing, the words, the lyrics was uh, definitely a journey because, um, I'd been writing so straightforward for so long now. And I, I love abstract poetry, I guess, or, you know, writing that way. Um, and just kind of throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks, but I wanted to have a little bit more cohesion, but without necessarily telling straight up stories. So it's been, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what happened. All I, I, I feel good about what we put down and I'm, you know, proud of it. And I think I like the images and, um, and I hope it's got something that, you know, someone gets something from i feel like it's good but it was a journey definitely you're happy about it that's good yeah yeah. um that's that's what matters so talk a little bit about the record um and and it's called prefabalon right yes so prefabalon is there anything um any songs in particular worth mentioning or things for people to listen out for um when they hear it we are definitely in a more angsty time than we have been for the last, you know, 15 or so 20 years, maybe. And I, I really feel like when it, when it, you know, it just happened that we were writing the rock record. I've, I felt it more than I probably, I mean, I was just probably ready to write something with Mm -hmm. this kind of energy. I mean, there, you know, I do uh, speaking again, lyrically, I think it, it, that does veer into, you know, some political stuff here and there. And I, I mean, I'm frustrated, you know, I think it's just driving me nuts, this everyday ridiculousness. And, mm-hmm. um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know that I would, I, I'm not, I don't want to lead anybody's emotions as they're trying to listen to this record. I, I just hope they would listen to it and, um, you know, like to rock out to it. And it, I think it's a good record, super loud. That's what we go for. Um, <laughs> but, you know, for me, it was a cathartic or it is a cathartic experience just trying to deal with this, you know, ridiculous bullshit every day that comes right. down the pipe. And and not just, you know, th- there's that, but there's also the, you know, just the 
you know, general life frustration as a human, you know, it's like you do get older. I, I, I had, uh, you know, I didn't want to just be like ranting about stuff, you know, who wants to hear an old dude rant, but you know, at the same time, fuck it. This is my, you know, this is my, my therapy, <laughs> my therapy process. So I'm going right. to do whatever comes out. So anyway, I hope I hope there's there's someone else out there like me. <laughs> Maybe they get something from it, you know. And I think your your point of like you know struggling and having this sort of you know confliction of like I want to talk about this, I don't want it as this way, and you know you're trying to say it the right way. It's like those are those are honest. Yeah, those are you're trying to figure it out. Yeah, I think. Thanks. Yeah, I think so. I hope so. Well, I do know I am trying to figure it out. I know also that I'll probably never figure it out. But it's all about the grind, man. Is that what you tell your kids? <laughs> I try to. <laughs> I try to tell, but they don't understand yet. They will. You haven't, you, have you said that to them? Have you said, guys, it's all about the grind? Oh, no. Hey, I did have on, a conversation s- with Sit on dad's lap. <laughs> <laughs> not yet they're still pretty young I, there's a 10 year old and a 4 year old and but 10 year olds definitely be thinking about the grind yeah I mean I'm trying to I, I don't want to scare him off from mowing the lawn <laughs> but he's, he's, he's starting to mow the lawn and I, I just try to you know I don't want to um, you know push him too hard with you know on the language front just yet but uh, I did right. but yesterday I did uh, have to talk to him about um I, I got to drop the the old dadage of if it's if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. <laughs> what happened? Well, he's trying to. Um, he's got a you know he's into Magic the Gathering cards. You yeah. Know? So he's kind of like I mean that's not the only thing he's into, but he's he's been into that, and I kind of <laughs> dig it because it's totally analog. You, you just know? treated Magic the Gathering like emo. I did what. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I did. You treated Magic Damn the it. Gathering like emo. You're like, You're no, right. no, no. It's funny because he's like, dude, he's into Magic the Gathering, but he's into other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Just say it. He's into Magic the Gathering. I got. I, I, I support him. Okay, I do too. And that's what I say. I was like, but I. Oh, no buts. He's into Magic Magic the Gathering, and it's analog entertainment, and I love it. <laughs> yes. No buts. Um, and so he's, he's got a buddy at school who is like, man, I've got this, I've got these cards and I'm going to, I just ordered these cards on eBay and they're worth a lot of money and I'm going to give you a couple of them and blah, 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 you know, and I'm like, this sounds too good to be true, you know, anyway, I just had to be like, but I tried to temper it with, it's fun to imagine and maybe it'll work out. And I did also tell him this morning on the same front, you know, cause he woke up and was talking about it. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, if this, if, if it's all, as you say, I will eat my hat. <laughs> so now hopefully I don't have to eat my hat, but <laughs> you know, I like that. I like the, that you had to have the, you had to have a little sit down, explain what's going on. Well, I didn't make it too intense. It was just like, well, I think that's really cool and I hope it works out, but sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did, have they, uh, have, have, has he asked about your band? Has he asked about like, 
Hey, Dad, I heard you in an influential mid-90s <laughs> emo band. No, he doesn't really care. I I try, I try. I mean, I play guitar around the house a lot, and um, they just get tired of it and say, I can't hear my stuff, or I can't do this or that, or that's, a, you know. And I'm like, okay, I'll go out to the porch again. And so Is he, that more on the country songs or the emo songs? Well, I'm it's kind of... I don't know. It's kind of back and forth. Uh, it just depends on whatever I'm messing with at the moment. Right. I don't think it matters. So to them, it's just dad. I don't think it matters with them. It's it's, they can't hear noise. their iPad. Yeah. It's dad making noise on the guitar, and it's in my way. It's not what I want to hear. <laughs> but, you know, maybe they'll come around someday. We'll see. <laughs> I love that. I love that he's just like, Dad, I'm trying to watch something. Yeah, they don't care. They just don't. They have no interest. Um, and then th- th- we have this little keyboard that is around the house that, you know, it, it, at turns they each pick up and mess around with. And they always, you know, they'll kind of mess with it for a second. But then they ultimately always just push the demo button and it plays green sleeves over and over and over, you know, and <laughs> just ridiculous but i wow. guess you know they're I'm just, and then i try to tell them it's like you know you can make your own music on that if you want it's right here's how it works but i don't know i guess that's all you can do you can't lead them so i think that i mean my my role as an uncle and uh, a cousin and uh, a niece and nephew my job is to uh, make sure that they listen to good music mm-hmm. and that they understand that there's music after radio. And that's my one goal in life, like just to make sure they understand that. That's so huge. I think that's all you got to do. I think you just, no, that's what you got to do. You got to just make sure that he knows that the radio is not it. Well, yeah, it's true. And he does. He listens to a lot of uh, generic electronica music. <laughs> in, really? In CS okay. music. And this is, you know, we'll probably turn our emo noses up to this, but, um, it's. I think it literally stands for no copyright sounds or something, and it's just music that that it's on YouTube. There's a million of them, and um, and it's absolute. It's all about the, you know, it's all about the build and the drop. You know, it's just electronica, which I like. I mean, I love electronica, and I actually get some ideas from some of this stuff. I wish I could get Paul to 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 be able to play some of that um, boots and cats stuff once in a while, but. <laughs> right. So not. there's a genre called NCS and it's all non-copyright and that's how they can make the songs and put them up on YouTube because it's not copyrighted, that's correct? That's what I how I understand it. It's NCS music and there's there's a, a million of them. Look them up and it's that's what Sam, that's what my uh my <laughs> oldest likes to listen to. And then Avery, the youngest, he likes to listen to year round it's either halloween music or christmas music really year round that's his thing it's one or the other that's it wow so so car rides yep that is must be an interesting mix like i bet spotify has no idea what to do with you guys (laughs) i don't know so we just have to rely on youtube (laughs) so you listen to music through youtube uh yeah a lot that and pandora nice yeah and yep because Pandora's just kind of set it and forget it for Christmas. Yes, so. yes, for sure. Avery wants Christmas, so yeah. just hit a button and good right. to go. Yeah, unless he's doing Halloween that day. <laughs> <laughs> and we even and he will listen to you know the, the 
you know, of course, then we go to Nightmare Before Christmas, which is the ultimate mashup between the two. And then so he listens to remixes of the of, you know, this is Halloween and stuff. That's good. Wow. He is deep on those holidays. He is. (laughs) He is. So that's how to get to Avery as a music uh, industry person myself. I just need to have my artist make Halloween songs for him. Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. Got it. I'm on it. Definitely uh, make that happen. (laughs) (laughs) I bet you've learned a lot. Like, I mean, it's like knowing what they're into and what they, how they, how they listen to things. Because as we mentioned before, like it's not phone calls and emails and looking through a zine. Oh yeah. It's, you know, it's a space bar and, or a, you know, a search bar and you're done. It's, it is, it's true. I mean, I don't know how much more ignorant I would be without the, without these kids, um, you know, leading the way. And I, I appreciate it really. I mean, I, I know that I'm, an idiot in general and so it's pretty good to have have some uh have these little gurus come into my life well you made them yeah all right yeah you're not an idiot scott you made them <laughs> well we'll see i don't know who made who <laughs> nobody knows cool <laughs> uh anything else you wanted to mention did uh, anything else you want to mention um I don't know. I just appreciate I appreciate the the all the uh questions and um we're going to tr- we're trying to get out and play as often as we can. We're kind of doing uh weekend warrior type things. So um of course Midwest is probably going to see more of us more you know sooner than anyone else, but our hope is to try to get out there and and play a few shows for anybody who cares. So Thanks. If you see we're coming, try to get out, get a babysitter or something. <laughs> this is the babysitter core era. <laughs> like, this is the one where you got to oh, get. Man. So well, quicksand came through New York and there was like sold out immediately. Yeah. And I said, no, no, there'll be tickets. That's babysitter core. <laughs> that night before something happens, they will be tickets floating. Uh, and there were. Oh, perfect. Countless tickets on Facebook. Oh, I can't go anymore. My wife can't get home in time. Oh, like damn. selling fate. Uh, yeah, but that's that's yeah, what's gonna happen. It happens. Hey, it does. Well, that's good. That you know, that that attests to the longevity of the genre, right? <laughs> exactly. They will buy the ticket and then realize they can't go. <laughs> hey, just buy <laughs> the ticket. We, you know, we'll We'll, we'll deal. We'll just assume every, that's what we'll, we'll assume every empty seat was at once purchased. Yes, that's it. <laughs> wow. Seated venues for giant's chair. Wow. That's big. <laughs> that's right. If it's an empty house, it's a full house really. Uh, and thanks to everybody who's, you know, if you're waiting and have been so patient cause this has been taken forever, but we've finally got some, things in the works and um it's 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 coming the presses are running so you know all about that a little bit (laughs) (laughs) not much paul actually took the reins on this one oh he did okay he let you the the technical side of it i made some artistic decisions but he's the one who knows we'll just leave you to the kids theater do what we'll just leave you to the kids theater yeah yeah, the Coterie Theater in Kansas City. It's a thing. It's a huge thing, and um, I'm proud to be a part of it. We 
do a lot of cool things. It's it's all ages theater, I should say. That does they, we do sometimes we do little kids shows, but like right now we have a we have a civil rights show that's pretty heavy about the freedom rides and stuff. So. Wow, I love that the the jobs that people have. That's more I enjoy oh, hearing the stories. Like <laughs> like enough about the shows. Like who gives a shit? Like oh, band played and then another band played. Yeah. Yeah, uh, nothing. You wait for 45 minutes or you wait all day for 45 minutes and then you're done. No, what's cool is, oh, you're a JV high school girls basketball coach. <laughs> Tell me all about that. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yep. I get it too. Like, I mean, do you, is this your only gig or what do you do? What else do you do? I, I work in the music industry. I work at Atlantic Records. Awesome. Um, so, but I've worked at punk and hardcore labels and, uh, so yeah, I've been in the label side and I stopped making music myself years ago to, to be on the biz side. Yeah. So yeah, this is my, this is my fun. Uh, when I get home from work, uh, I, I do wash up email. That is awesome. But people do think it's my full-time job. Hey, you sound like it, it could be. I'll send, uh, yeah, whenever, if I ever make a buck, I'll send it your way for, to help pay your first paycheck. As this guy. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> See, that's the thing about, actually, that's a really good, like, tie-in. Like, I, this, I don't make money on this. I don't need money. Yeah. I don't want money. Uh, I have some people Patreon me to, like, pay my server and, like, some, you know, things that just, like, sure, yeah. you want to put money toward it. But I don't, like, outwardly, you know, say you have to pay me or this podcast stops. But it keeps it, it keeps it. Uh, level it keeps oh, yeah. it real if that you know oh, like totally. i don't need to feel like oh fuck i need to do five episodes this month to like make my number yes. or something and and i think for your era and obviously as it got later there was a pressure to sound a certain way or to be but i think yes you guys still wanted to make records and sell them and bernie at caulfield wanted to sell them but i don't think there was the public eye on you in that time period to make it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Totally. Yeah. And it, and it, and it, yeah. So then it's all, it really is all about, you know, the passion of it. You know, it's like you do it, you you do it because you want to, and because you're driven or, you know, it's in you, whatever. I mean, and that's the truest place of all, you know, but that's the thing about that. I think the emo, we didn't talk about it, but you know, sort of the time when that word got popular, mm-hmm. like if there weren't kids showing up, would they still be doing it? Yes. A bunch of them, a bunch. <laughs> yeah. And definitely for the nineties too, if no one showed up, maybe that band stopped. Right. But I do think there's a group that was just like, no, we just kind of have to do this. This is I, what we're doing. You know, it's funny. I see this too. Like we we're starting to play these, you know, we're trying to play just all ages, situations and it's so refreshing and so um uh sort of a revival for us because um you know there are these art spaces or you know whatever and of course yeah they have their you know quirky funkiness that is frustrating you know if it's like i don't know so-and-so is supposed to be here oh i don't know i'm running the show tonight you know you know this kind of stuff, but it just exactly is absolute bootstrap rock and roll of, or, you know, creative creativity. And these people and these kids and these bands are making sound because they want to make sound and they want to push the limits and see what they can wrench out of 
themselves and their instruments. And it is so cool and it is so inspiring, you know, and it's ha- still happening. And yes. it's so cool. I mean, and it will always happen. I mean, people make things, you know, that's what we do. We just have to, you know, grind along and, and make noise, I guess. And I'm glad it works. It helps. You're exactly right. It is still happening. If you think it's not, then you haven't gone down and driven by, you know, that practice space or that, like that coffee shop that at night has a show. Like it's happening. And those are, those are, that's what keeps me going. Like there's a band that I, you know, there's bands that send me demos all day and I love listening to them because you can hear it. You can hear that. They're like, I'm giving you everything I have inside (laughs) of me. And here it is. And maybe that's to me emo. Maybe that's yeah. to me that sort of scene of like, you're doing this because you have to, and there's no other thing telling you like, I'm going to be huge. Right. I'm going to be the biggest band ever. That's not the goal. Exactly. The goal yeah. is, I, as you said earlier, I you had to get it out. You had to do that. And I think that's, if someone does ask you that again, or if someone asks me, that's my answer. It's like, I, I don't have a choice. Yeah, well, it's just what, you know, it reminds me of, of, of you know, like some art institute instructor who was a, you know, painter and it's like, he said something about, you know, I have to draw or paint every day. I have to, it's like breathing. It's just, it's that, you know, it is it, it is what keeps me going. And, you know, you just, I don't know, it's strange, but it's expressive, expressive you know, or expression. I guess because otherwise it just balls up and maybe maybe it just dissipates. Yeah. I don't know, but I don't think so. I think it just comes out some way or another. Yeah, and it, it, it and if it comes out in that way positively, yeah, in that way, that's when you're creating something. Yeah, it, that's it. And I think I mean, we figured out emo today, but that's really <laughs> the the that's the apex of it. And I think you guys were at such a an interesting moment in that in the history. And to be able to cultivate that and for you guys to be around and be able to still be friends, still alive, still be friends and make music is almost a miracle and in itself. And you, it's like you guys are taking full advantage of it. And I think it's awesome. You guys have a new record and you should continue to make music. Well, I'm starting to write. We'll see what happens. (laughs) <laughs> i love when you answer the like the dad yeah. way like you've got this like well tom yeah. dad's going to bed yeah. but uh, i'm gonna maybe write a couple things i'll be out here on the por- front porch with my git fiddle <laughs> if you need me <laughs> oh, i love True. that sweet scott this was fun I, I i hope you had fun i did thank you tom it's so cool and i Thank you for doing it, and thanks for putting it up and all that. And I'm just stoked that uh, you guys are still around. Yeah, here we are. Same old crusty dudes. (laughs) Why not? Why not? Why not?
Hello, Washed Up Emo fans. Thank you for listening to this podcast over the last nine plus years, or if it's your first time, welcome. It has flown by, and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening. And for this current episode you're about to hear, I do have a favor of you. I have some books out right now called Anthology of Emo, and Volume 2 was released last fall. I really think you'll dig it if you haven't heard of them. It features guests from the podcast, including Jim Atkins from Jimmy World, Chris Conley from Saves the Day, Travis Shettle from Piebald, and John Bunch from Sensefield. I've also reprinted Volume 1, so you can order both. Check out the DIY publishing at anthologyofemo.com.